0: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 Hello everyone, and welcome to 2019. We all face that inevitable question at this time of the year. So, what's your New Year's resolution? New Year, New me. we've all heard that one. But could people be taking the New Year, New me idea a little too far these days? Today I'll be chatting about a recent surge in what is known as biohacking, a sort of citizen science community, some of whom are taking their genomes into their own hands, quite literally. Science moves so quickly that I even had to come back to this podcast and re-record to make sure that I touched upon the media storm that hit us in November 2018 regarding the genome-edited babies, so that's what's coming up. First off, I'll give you a bit of background about biohacking. Biohacking is also known as do-it-yourself biology. It's a social movement where individuals, groups and organisations study biology in a community-based lab space. More experienced biohackers, often with university-level training, advise other novice biohackers. For some, it's a hobby. For others, it's a business. In November 2017, I came across an article in New Scientist describing how biohackers were editing their own genomes. A buzzword in the science field lately and making its way into mainstream news was CRISPR. CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspersed Short Palindrome Repeats. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? These CRISPR sequences are naturally found in bacterial genomes and they are repeated sequences, which are built in to allow the bacteria to fight off a viral infection. See them as DNA sequences which code for little RNA guides, which chaperone tiny molecular scissors to the genome of an invading virus, allowing the viral genome to be diced up and destroyed. The CRISPR system isn't just useful for bacteria, however. It has been adapted and applied for use in the laboratory, to cut out or edit particular genes in animal models like mice and fruit flies. To learn more about what particular genes do and why they are important. CRISPR also has the potential to transform medicine, correcting genetic defects, much like your mobile phone autocorrects your spelling mistakes. To treat and potentially cure human genetic diseases. However, like any gene therapy technique, it is controversial and potential risks, such as off-target effects of these little guide RNAs, must be identified and minimised before this treatment is used on the masses. But these side effects didn't put off Josiah Zener. Josiah took his own genome into his own hands and genetically engineered himself. You can go check out videos of this on his YouTube channel. Josiah is the CEO and founder of Odin, He set up the company after completing his PhD in molecular physics at the University of Chicago and after receiving a fellowship for NASA's synthetic biology programme. You can pimp out your garage to be a home lab from the Odin website and carry out genetic engineering from the comfort of your own home on bacteria, yeast and if you're brave enough, even on yourself. This raises the debate whether or not people should have ownership of their own genome and brings up difficult questions about regulation. On one hand, it's great to see science being made publicly accessible. There are kits for schools to use in the classroom, to carry out some funky and low-risk experiments. And I can see this inspiring the next generation of scientists. On the other hand, some people have ethical and legal concerns. From my experience so far, it's clear to see how academic institutions have to abide by laws and regulations with regards to genetic engineering. This is to make sure potentially dangerous organisms don't make their way out of the lab. Some call for similar regulation in the DIY biology field. On November 25, 2018, a young Chinese researcher hit the headlines when he presented his work at a conference in Hong Kong. He kui has allegedly used CRISPR to modify the genome of human embryos, now born as baby twin girls. And this may not be the only case. He carried out very secretive research to delete a gene called CCR5, in the hope that the twins would become immune to HIV. How successful this deletion was, and how rigorous and thorough the research was in general, is now under question. For one twin, the deletion was apparently only half successful, meaning she still retains regular copies of the CCR5 gene. If every cell in her body has one unedited copy and one edited copy of the CCR5 gene, this twin, called Lulu, will be what is known as heterozygous and would not be HIV resistant at all. On the other hand, if half of her cells are fully edited, and the other half remained fully unedited, she is what is known as mosaic and is only HIV resistant if her immune cells happen to fall into that edited category. The deletion of the CCR5 gene in the other twin, Nana, was apparently also not fully successful. This is a very complicated process, with the effects of the desired mutation not fully understood. Even if the CCR5 gene deletion was successful, the girls would be more susceptible to diseases such as influenza. To add to this, all target effects of this technology are also not fully understood. It is a relatively young research field which is highly regulated in many countries, both for scientific and ethical reasons. These experiments move germline genome editing, which is editing the genes which can be passed down from generation to generation outside of the lab and into the real world. This news has highlighted some key issues, which many believe must be met with appropriate regulation and standards. This work is very controversial, with the long-term effects not fully known. Hu Jiankui is now apparently living under armed guard and may face severe consequences for his work. Some great discoveries, however, came about from scientists having the courage to experiment on themselves and going beyond the norm. For example, Dr. Jonas Salk discovered the polio vaccine and volunteered himself and his family as the first recipients of the vaccine. In 2004, David Pritchard, a professor of parasite immunology at the University of Nottingham, along with nine colleagues, infected themselves with hookworm larvae to determine how the body reacts to hookworm infections. He found out that 25 worms was the upper limit before you start suffering the consequences. (laughs) Professor Pritchard's lab is currently looking into the use of worms to treat symptoms of multiple sclerosis, and his work is being used in vaccine research against hookworm. These scientists were putting themselves at risk, but what we have learnt and what we have gained has been beneficial for us all. Access to technology certainly leads to development. Look at the massive progress that has been made in the computing and technology fields via the open source model, which encourages collaboration. This open access view is one of the main drivers for DIY biologists who are making their research publicly available and community-based. Academia is certainly moving this way, with free and open access research journals becoming more and more popular And scientists being inspired to carry out public engagement to communicate their research more clearly but biology research also brings with it a world of unknowns unknown benefits and unknown dangers this is real life real people and real risks so many believe it's important to have regulations in place to keep people safe this topic highlights some really important issues and has obviously sparked debate. Do people have the right to edit their own genome? What are the consequences of germline genome editing in embryos? This is serious business and with the ever-increasing opportunity in the field of biology, I'm sure the debate has only just begun.